The five men came to their decision in the faded gold and mahogany boardroom that overlooked the intersected waterways of the East India Dock. By the time they were agreed, it was already evening, and the sun, setting in a flurry of striped crimson somewhere over beyond Battersea, was flooding the river with fire and casting its brilliant floodlight up into the men's faces. They had been in conference for a long time, since two-thirty, in fact, and old, white-haired Mr. Fry's was already feeling the strain. In the opinion of the other four, he was a little beyond his work, and with the sixth sense of the aged, he knew precisely what they thought of him. He surveyed the four lounging figures around him with a cold, embracing dislike. He himself sat upright and correct. From the back he looked like a small albino guardsman, and proceeded to sum things up. "'Very well, gentlemen,' he spoke in a crisp, precise voice, pursing his lips like an actress. "'We are agreed that we cannot let the affairs of the Campagna Muris continue, and it is the opinion of the board that we should send out someone to inspect the books. We are only disagreed as to the, er, uh, method.' I would suggest that the proper course would be to write to Senor Muras and inform him that Mr. Plym— Mr. Plym shifted uneasily in his chair, as men do at the sudden mention of their names— will be visiting him later on in the summer. And give Senor Muras six months to get away with our money. It was a young—actually, he was over forty—Mr. Govan who spoke— the memory of his father, the original Mr. Govan of Govan and Fry's Wholesale and Export Merchants, was still a powerful one in the firm. Anything that the son said was listened to with respect. He was manager of the company, and in his voice the ancestral southern Scots burr could still be heard. "'I know that's your view,' Mr. Fry's continued with a kind of mincing politeness. "'But Senor Muras hasn't run away yet.' And we don't know that he ever intends to. It isn't very nice to send out a spy. It isn't very nice not settling the last three quarters accounts, Mr. Govan objected. But we must remember there's a war on in Bolivia, Mr. Fry's reminded him. It's not England we are talking about. They're not Englishmen we're dealing with, Mr. Govan persisted stolidly. Mr. Fry's was too tired to argue. He looked round for someone he could rely on, someone on whom he could fall back in an emergency. "'What say you, Mr. Frampton?' he asked. Mr. Frampton seemed embarrassed. He was a thin, awkward-looking man, a jumped-up clerk whose promotion had left him ridiculously stranded some way midway between the executive and the administrative. "'I rather side with Mr. Govan in this,' Sir, he said. He avoided the chairman's eye as he spoke. There had been a time when he would never have dared disagree with Mr. Fry's, but he had long since told himself that the old man could not last forever, and that sooner or later his bread and butter must depend on Mr. Govan. The reply seemed to disconcert Mr. Fry's. He sat back and said sadly, Well, if we are to send someone at once, who is there to go? Mr. Plym coughed discreetly. 
He was Mr. Fry's man, but Mr. Govan interrupted him. "'We can't spare Mr. Plym at this time of year,' he said, "'not with the balance sheet to be got out.' "'There's no other senior member of the account side now that Tillotson's gone,' Mr. Fry's reminded him. At the mention of Tillotson's name, Mr. Frampton shook his head and uttered an involuntary, "'Ah!'